This morning we are going to be picking up in the book of Genesis. If you haven't been with us, we are preaching our way through Genesis, and this morning, as you can see from the scripture text, we are in Genesis 15. This week and next week, we're going to camp out in Genesis 15. This morning, we're going to focus specifically on verses 1 through 6, and next Sunday when we come back, we're going to look at God's covenant that he makes with Abram in the rest of this chapter. So have a finger in Genesis 15 this morning as um, we look at what God is about to do in redemptive history through this man, Abram. Let me begin this morning by asking you a question. What is faith? What is faith? Few questions are more crucial to the Christian life and the Christian faith in this. Some have said that faith merely means having right knowledge. Certainly knowledge is important. Scripture is clear that no matter how sincere your belief may be, if it is grounded upon that which is fraudulent, well, then you are on the road to destruction. But is right knowledge enough? It's not, is it? Doesn't Scripture say that even the demons know who Jesus is? And yet, with all of that knowledge, correct knowledge, they are not part of God's kingdom? So knowledge is not sufficient. What about assent? Assent. Say you have all the right knowledge and you also assent to it. You agree to it. You agree that the knowledge you have is true and right. Is that enough? Well, assent certainly is a crucial ingredient to faith. After all, one could possess knowledge but not really agree to it. Wasn't this the case with the Pharisees in Jesus' day? Jesus gave them truth, and yet they would not assent to it. So assent is something that's necessary, and yet it too is not enough. For one could assent to all the right facts, but that doesn't mean that it's enough. It doesn't mean that you have actually incorporated what you know into your heart. Instead, it merely remains in your head. If assent were all that was needed, one might sign a statement of faith even, agree that it's true, and then walk away and live however he pleased. Something more is still needed, and that something is what? Trust. Trust. What is trust? Trust is dependence, or maybe we could say reliance upon God. Faith is a, 
is a knowledge of, but also a trust in God's mercy. You see? John Calvin, a 16th century reformer, said it this way, faith is a firm and a certain knowledge of God's benevolence toward us, founded upon the truth of the freely given promise in Christ, both revealed to our minds, and notice what he says next, and sealed upon our hearts through the Holy Spirit. Or consider another old but very important catechism, the Heidelberg Catechism. Listen to how beautifully it describes faith. Faith, it says, is a deep-rooted assurance created in me by the Holy Spirit through the Gospel that I too have, have had my sins forgiven, have been made forever right with God, and have been granted salvation. Are you beginning to have a flavor for what faith is? You see, it's by trusting in who Christ is and what He has done that the believer finds that He's no longer left in doubt, but instead His salvation rests upon a firm confidence that cannot be shaken. This morning, as we come to Genesis 15, perhaps one of the most important passages in the entire Bible, a passage that's going to set the trajectory for everything that comes next in Scripture. As we come to this passage, we're going to witness in Abram this type of faith. A faith that must characterize us too if we are truly children of Abraham. In your outline, I give you several uh, points that are going to guide us through this passage. First of all, God promises, in verses 1 through 2, God promises Abram's security and reward. Last week, when we covered Genesis 14, where God used Abram to deliver Lot by conquering this coalition of kings from the east, when we looked at that passage, we learned that if you were Abram, surely you would have been relieved to have won such an important and decisive victory, especially to then be blessed by God's priest, Melchizedek. But isn't it also true that in the back of your mind would have been lurking this troubling and perhaps even a scary thought, will these kings come back for vengeance? Will they return twice as strong? On top of this, you had trusted in God's promise of a blessing to come. Abram still had yet to receive this blessing, though. And rather than taking the, the wealth that was offered to him by the king of Sodom, instead, he held out and he waited for God's promise. If we keep Abram's circumstances in mind, God's words here at the, at the beginning of Genesis 15, they make very good sense. Notice how the text begins. In Genesis 15, 1, what does it say? 
It says, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, for I am your shield. The reward shall be very great. Do you see how God's revelation of himself and what he will do in in this vision in particular, how it counters Abram's fears in his own present circumstances? Let's consider what God says first. First, he, he tells Abram not to fear, for God will be his, what? Shield. But who, who will God shield Abram from? How about the vengeance of those kings for starters? The vengeance of these kings that Abram had just overcome. The same God who gave him victory over his enemies, over these kings, here comes to Abram and says to him, I will protect you, Abram. I will be your shield. God uses this imagery of a a shield to make this point. In warfare, a shield is extremely important, is it not? While one sword or perhaps a bow is a weapon of, of, of offense, a shield is your weapon of defense. You stand behind it. And what does it do? It, it essentially blocks flaming arrows that, that come in at you. Or perhaps the, the blow of your opponent's sword ready to strike you. Just as a shield would have protected the warrior from harm. God says here to Abram, Abram, I will be your shield. I will protect you, Abram, from harm. But God says more, doesn't he? Not only will he protect him, he will reward him as well. And this reward, the text says, will be very, very great. Remember, Abram had refused to take the possessions that were offered to him by the king of Sodom. Abram continued instead to to wait and wait upon the blessings and the promises of the Lord. Blessings and promises that he had received back in Genesis chapter 12. Now God reiterates that this blessing will come and it will be beyond anything. It will go beyond anything Abram could have imagined. In other words, God will be, com- he, he will be the one who will compensate Abram. Not because he owes it to him, but because Abram did not take those spoils as he could have. These are big promises. And yet, here is Abram, still without an heir. It doesn't seem, does it? It doesn't, it doesn't seem like his descendants will be as numerous as the dust of the earth. And no doubt this delay in the fulfillment of God's promise, it only contributed to Abram's fear. Perhaps he wondered whether the promise of God was really going to come true. Is it, is it really going to happen? So Abram has questions. 
and maybe even some complaints too, which brings us to our next point. In verses 2 through 3, we see that Abram's questions and maybe even complaints, we could call them, are serious. In verse 3, Abram, he wants specifics. Okay, Lord, you, you have said, you, you have said you will give me a great reward. But what is it? And where is it? What will you give to me, Lord? How is it that my descendants will be great when I don't even have one heir of my own? A son from my own loins. I am still childless. In fact, the only one who can be my heir is Eliezer of Damascus, my household servant, who is not even my flesh and blood. If we're honest, we can probably sympathize, can't we? We can sympathize with Abram. He has left his homeland. He has gone into battle with his enemies, and yet he is still waiting to receive God's promise. Certainly, he must have been tired, perhaps even frustrated. He had come so far, so far, even to put his own life on the line and saving Lot, but still had no proof, no proof yet of God's promise of the blessing to come. As we're going to see in a minute, Abram's questions, perhaps even his doubt, will turn into faith. Let's first look at verses 4 through 5 and see how God first responds to some of these questions. God has promised to give Abram a very great reward. Look at verse 4. Abram has asked God exactly how this is going to happen. And now God is going to give to Abram an answer. In verse 4, God clarifies one thing for Abram. Eliezer will not be your heir, Abram. No, I am going to give you your own son. In verse 5, God then takes Abram aside. What does he do at this point? He gives him a visible picture a visible picture, a very real picture of the blessing that God is about to give to him. Keep in mind that it was nighttime. God tells Abram, Abram, look up. Look up to the heavens. Look up, Abram. Do you see the stars in the heavens? Abram, do you even think you could start counting all of these stars? Not a chance. Not a chance. Abram, I am going to make your descendants so numerous that these stars in the sky aren't even going to compare This whole scene is so hard for us to relate to, especially if you have been born here in Southern California. Living in Southern California, we hardly, 
know what it is like to look up at the stars in a pitch black night. Between all the street lights blocking our vision as well as the cloud of smog that just kind of hovers over the city, a sky full of stars is something we only see in the movies. But have you ever taken a road trip across the country? Perhaps you stopped at the Grand Canyon or maybe a cornfield in Wisconsin or pulled over to the side of the freeway as you were traveling through Kansas. If you have, then you know exactly what it's like, don't you? To just stop and look up at night at the sky. What do, you, what do you see in that moment? In this black sky, you witness an army of bright, brilliant stars that just light up the sky. It just takes your breath away to see it. And you feel so small. And it feels so good to feel that small. Not only are the stars so bright, but there are so many. And that is just what you see. As those who don't get to see the sky like this every night, perhaps another illustration would bring this closer to home. Have you ever packed up your family, gotten in your car, and driven to the beach? On a sunny day in Southern California, there are few trips that are more exciting than driving down the PCH with your windows down as you look out at the ocean, right? And it's cool, salty breeze just comes sweeping in. I know people in other parts of the country They have never been to the ocean before in their life, and they never will be. No matter how vividly you you try to explain this type of experience to them, they don't get it. The, The crisp wind blowing against your cheeks, the sun just warming your your shoulders and the soft sand between your toes. They don't they don't get it. It makes no sense. There's no experience of it. And they don't even understand what they're missing out on unless they go themselves and see just how great it is. So imagine, once again, driving down the coast with your family, perhaps, and you stop. You've you found a perfect little cove You hike down to the beach. You lay down your towels and maybe your cooler and you lather up with sunscreen. And then you you look out at, at what? Endless miles, endless miles of beach to your right and to your left. What would you say in that moment if one of your kids started tugging on you and said, 
dad, mom, how many grains of sand are there in the beach? (laughs) What do you say? What? That question has no answer, does it? What kind of question is it? How many? There isn't a number. You cannot count them, child. That's how many. You see, now you are beginning just a little bit to understand what God's promise to Abraham looks like. Abram, count the stars. Count them. That will be your descendants. Which brings us to our next point, number four. Abram's justification. What was Abram's response in hearing this? What was his response? Look with me at verse six. What was Abram's response to hearing God's promise? There's one word. There's one answer. Faith. Faith. Abram believed God. He believed him. Abram trusted that God would do what he said. In other words, Abram relied upon God. Now, This wasn't the first time Abram had trusted in God, nor was it the first time that God had made such a promise to Abram. And yet at the same time, in verse 6, we we do see a very distinct moment in which Abram trusts in God's promise like never before. Yes, he had questions, But he listened to God's promise. He listened to God's word, in fact. And he believed. Now, what was the result of this? In verse 6, it says that Abram believed the Lord and God counted it, Abram's faith, counted it to him as righteousness. Now, I want you to hang with me for a second. We're going to dive for a minute into two observations and dig our our fingers deep into some theological soil here. We're going to do some some eating to make our bellies full. So I want you to follow with me as we look at verse 6 and also what the Apostle Paul has to say. I want want you to to note two things. Two things. First of all, when verse 6 says, Abram believed the Lord and he counted it, his faith, to him, as righteousness. I don't think it is saying that Abram's faith itself was his righteousness. This would, in some way, make faith some type of a work itself. It would make faith a type of of merit. And it would give Abram grounds for boasting. Rather, when it says God counted Abram's faith to him as righteousness. I think it means, as one commentator has put it, I think it means that the Lord assigns Abram's faith the value of righteousness. 
There's also a second observation. That word counted there, it means to credit or to reckon. It means to credit someone righteous. It is, in other words, it's to declare. Think of a a courtroom here, a a legal declaration that's being made. It's to declare someone's legal righteous status. In Genesis 15, it has to do with Abram's right standing before a holy God. Notice, Abram, he's not justified before God because of something within himself, even his own faith. No, the righteousness that is credited to Abram is not because of his good works, but rather it comes from God and is given by God to Abram. Don't miss this. This is so crucial to Christianity. Abram simply receives, receives it through faith. Faith is the instrument through which this happens. In other words, this this righteousness is not intrinsic in Abram. It's extrinsic. It's alien. It is outside of him. It is coming from outside of him and given to him. You see? It's a gift. A gift from God to Abram through faith. Now, in order to understand this, I want you to see how verse 6 I want you to see more precisely how, how verse 6 has implications for your right standing before God. And so I want you to turn with me all the way to Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4, where Paul actually quotes from this text in order to demonstrate that a sinner is not justified by works but by grace alone, through faith alone. In Romans 4, Paul's aim is to show that a person is counted right before God, justified before God, not by his own good works, but rather through faith. So Paul starts Romans 4 how? By asking whether Abram was justified by works. So what's the answer to this crucial question? Paul says no. If he was, says Paul, then Abram would have had something to boast about. But Paul, quoting from Genesis 15, 6, points out that verse 6 does not say Abram was justified by works but rather by faith alone. Paul says, and look at Romans 4, 5. He says there, And to the one who does not work, but believes in Him who justifies who? The ungodly. 
His faith is counted as righteousness. Isn't this exactly what happened to Abraham? Now, what does this have to do with you? Paul's not finished. Look at Romans 4.16. In Romans 4.16, Paul draws a line from Abram to you. You. Who is the offspring of Abram? Who is it? Answer? All those who share the faith of Abram. Paul says that if you, if, if you have not trusted in your own works, but instead have trusted in the gospel promises of God in Christ Jesus, then you have Abraham as your father. Your father. For the promise to Abraham was that God would make him the father of many nations. Jew and Gentile. It is so crucial that you understand this. If you miss this, you miss what Christianity is all about and what distinguishes it so much from everything else. What is the relationship between your faith and God's grace? Faith means relying, trusting, depending upon God rather than yourself and your own works. In other words, your right standing before God, your justification before God, it's not gained through trusting in anything you have done. Not anything. Nor is it gained by trusting in any inherent quality within you. Instead, it's gained by trusting in the gift of God's righteous, His righteousness that He gives freely it's, it's gained by trusting in the gift of God's unmerited and undeserved favor. In order for this to sink in, I want you to take a look with me to Romans 4, verses 19 through 22. Let's take a look at Abraham once more through this lens. Look at verses 19 through 22. Paul says, referring to Abram, he did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. 
No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That that is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. Now, just in case you think this is just about Abram and has nothing to do with you, look at verses 23 through 25. Paul says, But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in Him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. People, can I be very honest with you for a moment here? If it were not for justification by grace alone, through faith alone, I couldn't stand up here in front of you and and preach. Nor could I be your pastor. Do Do you realize that? That is how crucial this is to the Christian faith. If I have to stand before God on the basis of what I have done, I will be condemned on the last day, and rightly so. The only reason The only reason I can stand justified before God is because I have received the gift of God's unmerited favor in Christ. There's no Where's boasting? It's gone. Are you you here this morning thinking that if I am just good enough If I just do enough good works, then somehow I will be okay with God. Friend, there's no way. It's not going to happen. From one sinner to another, You are guilty and stand before a holy God condemned. You cannot obey God's law perfectly. 
You can never earn or somehow merit his favor. You have, you have but one hope, and his name is Christ. Your justification can only be gained by looking to Christ, relying upon his atoning work for you, depending upon his gospel promises, and trusting in the salvation that he has accomplished and promises to all those who believe in him. If that is you this morning, this is my admonition to you. Believe God so that you, like Abram, might be counted righteous. For the rest of you, perhaps you look back at when, by God's grace and mercy, you first trusted Jesus to save you. And yet here you are and you find yourselves just struggling, tired. How do, you, how do you continue to live by faith? My admonition to you comes right from Genesis 15. Stand fast in the promises of God. Stand fast. Not in yourself, but in his promises to you. As children of Abraham, we too have been justified. When Abram looked up to those, those stars in the sky and saw his descendants there, if you have trusted in Christ, you are part of that great assembly You are part of the great nation that God promised to Abraham. How? Do you need to be reminded of this this morning? How? How? By faith. And by faith alone. The gospel doesn't get too old, does it? It's not something that happened and you move on from. If you have trusted in Christ alone through faith alone, then you too are a descendant of Abraham. And you too share in the covenant blessings God promised to him in Genesis 15. You too have been counted righteous. So stand fast. Do not be shaken. Don't be moved. Do not waver concerning the promise of God. Be fully convinced. Be fully convinced that God will do what he has promised. Pray with me. Lord, what would we do without texts like Genesis 15, Romans 4, and so many 
others. Lord, we, as Luther said, we, we are beggars. That is true. And yet, Lord, that is the only proper way we can approach your throne as beggars. We worship you this morning because you are a God who has bestowed grace and mercy that we do not deserve. You've bestowed this upon us and we have received your unmerited favor. Even the faith that we have is a gift from you. And so on this Trinity Sunday, we praise you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, our one God, three persons, for not only choosing us before the foundation of the world, sending your Son to die for us, but then sending the Holy Spirit to cause us to be born again, to justify us by your grace and through faith. It's in the name of our Savior, our Redeemer, our Lord, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.